But first, what I want to ask is probably one of the most common questions, and I, I can almost guarantee that you've been asked this at least once or twice since you've been here. And some people consider it quite a dangerous question as well. And we'll come back to that. But the question is, where are you from? And with the international uh, community here in IBCBI, people from all around the world, it's a very common question, isn't it? Where are you from? You've got a strange accent. Where are you from? Okay, or you've got a very American accent or a British accent or Finnish accent or, yeah, where are you from? And, uh, but why is it dangerous? Well, it's dangerous more with the, you know, and slightly offensive when, it, when it's followed up, but, but where are you really from? And uh, the sensitivities, especially to, uh, to Asians and, and racism in Asians, I don't know whether you've been following up on that, you know, especially kind of uh, just in around the, 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 um, uh, uh, the, the film Crazy Rich Asians has followed on from a couple of years of this higher profile kind of uh, uh, racism against Asians. The, a very common question that I was asked in, in the UK was not just where are you from, but the follow-up question, but where are you really from? And obviously working with teenagers who generally don't know that they're being insulting, um, I would get that question. So, so, so where are you from? Oh, I'm from London. You know, but where are you really from? I'm, I'm from Hammersmith. No, but so, where are you from? Well, I grew up in a small town uh, outside, outside London called Crowthorne. No, sir, where are you from? Well, I was born in Scotland. Um, no, sir, where are you from? Mm. My mummy's tummy. Um, no, where are your parents from? Um, my parents are from China. Oh, so you're Chinese. Well, sort of. I'm also British and I'm English and I'm... Scottish and I'm a Londoner. You see, it's, it's a strange question, isn't it? Where are you from? And it's something I certainly struggled with when I was much younger. This identity crisis, this identity... Because people tie up a lot of identity with where are you from. I'm certainly very proud to be Chinese. I'm proud to be British. I'm even proud to be Scottish. Uh, so this idea of where we're from and this identity, it's very tied up with our identity. And that's important to young people. And, and actually it's important to all of us, I think. But this, and this passage answers that. This passage uh, addresses that. Um, and so let's get into this passage. So uh, we're, I'm going to read, so we're looking at verse 1 to 12. And I'm going to read it in two parts. So all the commentaries and all the, the, uh, the things I read, put it into two parts, but they are very much one passage. So we're going to read 1 to 6, and then I'm going to uh, talk about 1 to 6, and then I'm going to read uh, 7 to 12. I'm going to talk about 7 to 12, but hopefully you can see that there is very much a very common theme here. And that addresses this question, where are you from? So let's read. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, 
but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who, who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let me pray as I open that up for us. Father, we pray that uh, you are with us and that you are guiding us to the truth in your word. Lord, we thank you that you have given us this word uh, and told us how we are made, what we are made from, and what we are made for. Lord, help us to acknowledge this and acknowledge you and all that you have done in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so please make sure you've got your Bibles open in front of you so that you can check what I'm saying. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So, how many of you talked to a spirit in the last week? You might have talked to the, the Holy Spirit, or you might have talked to maybe uh, so, someone who died, but not many of us have actually gone and talked to a spirit in the last week. Um, and whilst the Bible is clear that evil spirits do exist, uh, if we look at the context of this Bible, uh, if this passage, we see that this isn't spirits in the supernatural sense, but rather this is spirits in dwelling people. We all know that we are of spirit, and each of us has spirit in us, uh, and so you've got to be a little bit careful in reading this. Uh, let's read the pa- uh, yeah, a little bit further. For many false prophets have gone into the world. So it's talking about the spirits of these false prophets, not of supernatural evil spirits, uh, but the spirit of these false prophets. Um, So for for many false prophets have gone out into the world, but by uh, by this you know that the spirit of uh, sorry by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus has come, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. You see, that's that scary name again, Antichrist. If you were here in my sermon two weeks ago, I talked about an Antichrist figure who is coming. uh, And I said, go and talk to Craig about that. I'm sure he he will answer all your questions about the Antichrist. Uh, But uh, there are Antichrists. And these are false prophets, people who have gone out from among us. So maybe Christians or maybe people from a church background, people who know their Bible, people who know Christianity. They've gone out from us and their purpose is to lead people astray. And here's one of the tests for them uh, to, uh, to see whether they acknowledge that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. 
And as I said in my sermon two weeks ago, well, just about everyone believes that Jesus Christ was a historical figure. That's not really disputed. Any reputable historian today will not dispute that Jesus Christ was a historical figure. He was a real person. Okay? But, so what's this saying, you know, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? Well, the, the important thing is about the, the title Christ. That Jesus Christ, the human, was also the Christ who was fully God. And what these false teachers try to do is separate that idea of Jesus the human and God indwelling in Jesus, or God being Jesus. So there is this uh, idea that was going around at the time and has reappeared several times in history, I don't know whether you've heard of it, is that Jesus was a human vessel and that God indwelt in him until just maybe just before he died or just as he was dying, then God left him so that he could die and then you know, maybe came back and resurrected him. So Jesus himself wasn't fully God. Do you see how, as Christians, that makes a mockery of our salvation? You see, we are Christians because Jesus, as God, died to take that punishment. Without Jesus being fully human, he could not die. But without Jesus being fully God, not only could he not take that punishment, he couldn't conquer death, and he couldn't bring us back to God. So by saying that Jesus isn't either fully human or isn't either fully God, then these false prophets are denying us that wonderful thing, that dreadful thing, Jesus' death on the cross that saves us. And that is not Christianity. It's clear all the way through the Bible that this is God reaching out to his people, rescuing his people by his salvation. Not by anything that we've done, but by his work. So these antichrists, and that's not such a scary word when we talk about these people being false teachers, they are from the world, as it says in verse 5. And where are we from? Verse 6, we are from God. When many slaves were freed, uh, they used to take on the surnames of their owners. This was partly an acknowledgement uh, and partly out of respect for the, and gratitude for those who had freed them. They took on the surname of their owners. By dying on the cross, Jesus has saved us. Not only from eternal separation from God, but a slavery to sin. If you want to know more about that, please read Romans. We have been saved from a slavery to sin. Beforehand, we had no choice. We were sinful in what we were doing. Even in acknowledging God, we were not acknowledging God, we were sinful. How much more should we acknowledge and be grateful to God and wear this name of Christian proudly? 
Christian, from Christ, of Christ. Wear this name Christian proudly because we are from God. Because we have been saved as slaves to sin. You see, as a teenager, I really struggled with my identity. Uh, I was confused and I was angry. Uh, I was from a Chinese family. Uh, my parents aren't probably typically Chinese, but... Um, yeah, but, but then I was thrust into a, a very posh English boarding school. All the manners and all the kind of ways you should be eating your food with kind of knives and forks and stuff. It's a very strange thing to try and eat rice with a fork. Um, still think it's strange. More used to it now. How to act and how to behave. And I felt so out of place. So much as if I didn't belong in that place confused and angry until I became a Christian when I was 15 and that you may think that's quite late I realized that God was the God of Christianity when I was 12 and that gave me a certain amount of peace but when I became a Christian when I was 15 that was when I realized where my identity lie I was a Christian I was of God. I was from God. Being a Christian was my family. And gone was the confusion and anger that was in me. And I realized it didn't matter. Where was I from? Well, that doesn't matter. I'm from God. We're not of the world. We are from God. And this leads us into uh, our second uh, uh, passage. So let's have a look down. So you see, God sent his son to die for us. Um, and it's because of that great act of love. So we're going to read verse 7 to 12. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest against, uh, amongst us, among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God but he, he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his, perfect, uh, his love is perfected in us. You see, if finding my identity in God's family was important as a teenager, this passage here... And I can remember when I was struck by this. Uh, this passage was incredibly important to my development as a Christian and understanding my, in my understanding of who God was and who, uh, what my relationship with God was. Now, here's a cultural reference for you. Probably more from the 80s, but it's, there have been a couple of films. Who knows who Judge Dredd is? Stick up your hand if you know who Judge Dredd is. A couple of the guys, a couple of the older guys probably read the comics. And 
We're going to pick on Trent. Trent, what was the uh, the ca what was uh, Joe Strode's catch line? Oh, ah, I'm going to go to Craig. What was? Do you, do you not remember? Okay, maybe this will, might bring back memories. Anyone seen the films? There's a couple of films. One with Arnie. This is a bit of a cheesy film. One more recent, which is quite gritty and quite gruesome. His catchline was, I am the law. Do you remember that? So, Judge Dredd lives in the future. So he's a, char a comic character from the future. The future is a post-apocalyptic future where millions of people now living in these mega cities. And these mega cities yeah, just have so many people, it's so hard to police. And so these judges are given the, you know, laser guns uh, to go around and enforce the law. And Judge Dredd's uh, catchline is, I am the law. Well, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that he is, he's a lawful person. He doesn't just mean that he's here to enforce the law. When you say something like that, I am the law, it sounds incredibly arrogant, doesn't it? I define the law. What I do defines what law is. My actions define what law is. I am the law. Let's have a look at this passage. It says, God is love. Yeah, everyone knows that, that, that little phrase, doesn't it? God is love. And sometimes it's thrown back in your face as a Christian. You know, how can God be love if he lets this happen? How can you believe in a loving God and yet believe that children are suffering? How can God be love? You see, what they don't understand and what they're outraged about is that God is a judgmental God as well as a loving God. How can God let these things happen and yet be a God of love? Well, they've misunderstood what this passage is saying. God is love. He is not a loving God as we understand it. Not love as Hollywood would define this mushy feeling of emotions. This romantic thing between two people or even kind of this strong bond between brothers or a man and his king. Love. No, God defines love. You see, it's very easy for us to make God in our image. It's Voltaire who said, um, God made man in his image. And every... Uh, and now man is trying his hardest to repay the favour. It's a great statement, isn't it? God made man in his image, and man is trying to repay the favour. That means that man is now trying to define God. Man is trying to make God in his image. And don't we see that all around? We see a Santa Claus type of God. God, give me this. God, give me that. God, you're rubbish because you didn't give me this. God is the, uh, the neglectful father. He's there who's you know, just given birth to us, but then has just kind of given a, you know, ignored us ever since. You see, if we view God 
this now statement as God is love, we see it in a whole different way. God defines love. Let's, it's, now, it's, it's also backed up by the surrounding verse, uh, verses. So let's read that again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So if you love, you've been born of God and you know God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Anyone who, uh, sorry, in this, uh, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The propitiation is uh, sacrifice for our sins, the, uh, the atoning sacrifice. Beloved, if God so, so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one who has ever seen God, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You see, even as humans, we, we only know how to love because we have been shown love by others. By our parents, by other family members. By friends, we learn how to love because others love us first. But that in itself is a very selfish love. That's not the pure, pure love. That's not the love which is from God. How often do we ignore others to spend time with those we love? Now that's not a, a wrong thing to spend time with, you know, and quality time with those we love, but do we love others? If we loved them, would we not make time to spend with them? It's very selfish, the love that we have. We love others and we expect them to love us in return. If they don't love us in return, then we don't love them. And now God... God in his great mercy is completely different from that, isn't he? We know that. God loved us even though we didn't deserve it. When we were still sinful, he loved us. Romans 5 verse 8 said, says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, that means we were the people who rejected God. We didn't even acknowledge God. While we were still sinners, and that doesn't mean that we're not still sinners, but while we were people who, in the context of that passage, while we were people who were not Christians, Christ died for us. God showed us the ultimate sacrifice and died for us to show us love. Most of you either have children or have dealt with looking after children. Or you know about babysitting children. We are that baby who throws his toys out of the pram. We are that baby who when they're eating their food, what do they do when they're eating their food? The food goes everywhere. They throw away their food. They might even throw it in your face. We are that baby. 
we throw God's good things back in his face and yet God patiently cleans up after us and continues to provide for us. We are that two, three, four-year-old who throws a tantrum because, because you haven't given their, their favourite food or their favourite show isn't on TV or just because. Have you come across those just because they're a little bit annoyed, just because they're feeling a little bit too warm, they're going to throw a tantrum. They throw a tantrum. And that's us. And yet God patiently waits for that tantrum to, to finish. God talks to us gently. God guides us despite our tantrums. God remains constant. We are that teenager, and I've been there, that teenager who wants to rebel. When, we be, when we've been grounded or disciplined, we throw a strop, we go to our room, we even say to our parents, and this is hurtful because I know I've done it, we say to our parents, we hate you. That's painful, isn't it? We've done that to God. Yet God is still there. God is our family. God is our parent. God is our loving father. And he still continues to love us and teach us and guide us. You see, love is not defined by us. Not by songs, not by Hollywood, not by friends or even our parents. God is not defined by those things. You see, we need to learn love and how to learn love from God. God defines love. God is love. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation. That's paying the price for our sins. So, you see, there is more to the question of, where are you from? It's not just, oh, I'm from here or there. It's not just that we are part of God's family. I'm sure that each of you have probably been compared to one or other of your parents. And also told, oh yeah, he's, he's from England, he's very English. Or, he's very American, she, you know, she's very American, or, you know... It's not just where we're from, it's how we act. God is love, and so we must love too. We must love the unlovable. We must reach out and get nothing in return. Because that's what God did. God continues to reach out. We must show God's love to the world. And especially in how we treat one another as Christians. Love one another. Selflessly, sacrificially, and with no fear because we have the spirit of truth. Let me pray. We are from God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Lord, we are thankful, we are so grateful that you have perfected your love in us.
by dying for us, by showing us your love, by bringing us back to you, into your family, even though we don't deserve it. You reached out, even though we were rejecting you. We were pushing away your hand. We were telling you that we hate you. And yet you continue to reach out and say, I love you. Lord, help us to repay that by showing love to one another and to the world. Let, me, let us love our brothers and sisters in this way. In Jesus' name, Amen.